Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 10 of the No Look Past podcast presented to you by WRSTN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, a.k.a. my mom's favorite son, who still has Carl- Charlie Clips beating Floated the Bucks, and I have my co-host with me today, Andy Flint. Flint, what's good? You know, I was watching, because we watched the Pacers this week, and I noticed that Monte Ellis is playing defense for the first time in the existence of Monte Ellis. I don't know what Paul George taught him about strip club etiquette that he never learned from Steven Jackson when they played together in, in Golden State, but something's working here, guys. We're, we're 20 seconds into the show. You've already stolen one of my points. I was going to talk about that. But before we do start the show and get, in, and get into that topic, I, want, I have two shout-outs. I want to make. I want to shout out the the old man Kevin Garnett, who I don't know if you saw Andy absolutely put Blake Griffin on a poster tonight. We are recording on a Monday night, and KG turned the clock back in a fast break, and then he got teed up. And I think we should make a rule: if you're over 40 and you dunk on somebody, you cannot get a technical foul. You just it, it doesn't matter what you do; you you can't get teed up at all. So I, I, I think, think you should also receive a gift card to Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> And, and then I want to shout out the San Antonio Spurs, whose 12th men are apparently better than the Sixers starters, considering they had no Duncan and no Kawhi and beat the Sixers by 51 points on the road in Philadelphia. So shout out to the machine, Greg Popovich and the crew. So we are going to get into our show as usual. Um, we are going to start as we always do um, with the team that we spotlight for a week and give you our thoughts. And then we have a couple of things we want to touch on. Uh, we have a story you know, we want to touch on Draymond Green because there was a story about him this week that we found interesting. And also, we're going to we're gonna be a little crazy and tell you about teams that maybe have gotten off to a slow start that we still believe in. But first, as always, we're going to start with, while you were watching TNT, we were watching the then red-hot Indiana Pacers, who had a West Coast road trip and cooled off a little bit. They beat the Clippers um, in L.A., and then they took two losses to in Portland and in Utah. Andy, how many Indiana Pacers games did you watch, and what were your impressions? Uh, I watched the Portland game, and I watched the Utah game. Uh, I didn't catch any of the Clippers game. Of course, I, I missed the one they won. Uh, my my impression is we're a couple of jinxes. I mean, you said it before the show, like, what, what are we doing to basketball here? Yeah, I know. It's like every time we watch a team, they they have a bad week. <laughs> so, you know, we've actually been watching, I think most of the time when we pick the teams, we've been watching bad teams, you know, because we want to see what's going on, sort of. I mean, that's sort of been my philosophy most of the time. It's sort of like, oh, this team's struggling, and I thought they were going to be good, so let's watch them because I'm not sure why. This time was the opposite. It was because um, I was hating on the Indiana Pacers preseason, and then all of a sudden they were, you know, 12-5, and five. And I was like, oh, well, maybe we should watch them to see what the hell is going on because there's no way I believe this team is 12-5 based on the way their, their roster is constructed. So why do you think that, they, that they've been so hot? Because I have a few theories. I mean, honestly, seeing – I saw a couple of games leading up to, uh, you know, us watching the Pacers play these last three games this past week. And, you know, I was intrigued. I watched uh, Paul George had a 40-point game against the Wizards was, was just one, for example. And I really found myself wanting to watch Paul George play because the guy's a machine. I mean, you know, the the leg injury missing last season, and we're always sketchy about how guys are going to come back. We saw Derrick Rose, you know, not be able to really take the mental bullets and 
Paul George is, is unfazed. I mean, no kryptonite for this guy. He's simply amazing. And I, I really think in the East, even though the East is improved, I think we have a team that, that could do some – make some playoff noise, maybe. I I think that if you, look at, if you look at some of the things they're doing, it's weird to say, too, like, and I'm almost hesitant now, but, I mean, you're talking a team that's top five in offense. They're t- tied – with, like, five teams for top six in uh, defense. I mean, this team's just – they're playing well. And, like I said, getting Monte Ellis to play defense, you're on another level. I mean, that's like us talking about the Kings making Rajon Rondo not want to play defense. It's it's, it's the same thing. (laughs) Absolutely. So so, so I want want you to save that for for the the playoff talk because that's the the question I actually want to end with um, is is about their, their playoff hopes here. So the one the one thing I noticed, which I think is something that you touched on, is the defensive intensity of this team is incredible. So they do not play the, – the, the games – I watched all three, by the way. So I caught all three because I punished myself. And the, the Clippers game was a weird game. It was a good thing that you didn't catch them because it was it was a weird game to judge them on because they actually started big. They had LaVoy Allen and um, Jan Mahimi in the starting lineup because of Blake and DeAndre. So they didn't go small, which is their traditional lineup. So it was a weird game to, to judge them on, you know, based on like it wasn't a good representation of who they are this season. So um, they do not play like a middle of December season game. The the defensive intensity is like I want I don't want to call it playoff intensity, but it might be like you know the last ten games of the season and you're in the hunt for a playoff spot intensity. So the the main thing I noticed is that they close out on every single shooter. I did not see a guy take a wide-open shot, except for the exception they left Josh Smith both wide open on 1-3, which I think may have been intentional because when Josh Smith shoots threes, you're just like, sure, shoot him, Josh Smith. Go for it. Have a ball. Uh, so the, the most surprising thing that I noticed actually has something to do with Vontae Ellis, which is the fact that George Hill seems to be the second option on this team. So I was curious what happens when Paul George goes out of the game because they, he plays the whole first quarter and then they sit him in the second quarter. And what they do is Monte Ellis actually sits with him, and then they run the offense through George Hill, a.k.a. Cisco's lost cousin, with the, uh, with the blonde highlights in his hair. Yeah, so he, he's the guy that gets the touches when Paul George isn't in the game, and I thought that was really shocking. I don't know if you noticed that as well. Yeah, I, and honestly, I didn't even really notice that. The, the one thing I did notice was uh, Drew Hill, and they, like <laughs> – He's balling this year. I don't. I don't. You know. I we talked about it a little bit before the season when we did the positional list, and he did have a good season last year. And you know, we kind of actually, I think even you chalked it up to, you know, the the roster last season. Uh, yeah. You know, despite the fact that but you, I were, also said you were you, you were pro George Hill. Yes, you were pro George Hill. Oh, I hate yeah. that guy. You, I you mean, and I, I, I still don't even really love his game. Watching him play, like it, it's not only <laughs> is it boring, but I found myself annoyed by by his hair. And you know, the the one thing I'll tell you, the guy who I was kind of surprised with was uh, uh, Jordan Hill. I feel like yeah, he impacts the game, and I I've never seen him impact the game before on any other team, and and I was surprised by that. Um, I think we should, before we get off of the subject, I don't know what else you have left to say about the Pacers, but that Utah game, did you end up watching that? I know you didn't see it live. I did end up watching it. I actually watched it this morning. I didn't catch the overtime because I recorded it on my DVR, and apparently if it's an overtime game and you record it after the fact, then uh, they don't take into account that it was an overtime game when they give you the replay. 
So I didn't catch the overtime game, but the overtime, but I caught the the regulation, and I knew that they lost in overtime. But it was it was Paul George in that game was just unreal. And and I mean, we're, I want to talk about Paul George a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I I did catch the game. It, it was I, I was excited. I mean, obviously you saw me tweeting. Um, I'll tell you the funny story is is I this old man here myself. I, I kind of went and had a couple drinks that night, and then I started watching the game. And I was excited. It was probably the reason why I wasn't watching the game was because I was also having a couple of adult beverages, and I was like, well, I don't want to watch this game. I don't know what's going to happen. There you go. I mean, I le- I mean, I le- I was catching it at at the sports bar, but I left and and then coming home and finished it. It was it was probably honestly it may have been the booze a little bit, but it was a super exciting game. It was probably my favorite game I've seen all season. Yeah, it, it was a it was a very good game and. The the point I wanted to make about that game was just like I said, Paul George just being unreal. You know, we talked about it in the preseason. We did our pre uh, our season preview, and we talked about you know we were giving awards out, and one of them was who would be this year's Jimmy Butler, which was, last year was the guy that would get MVP buzz through like 20 games because you know his team got off to a surprising start, blah blah blah. So that guy would be Paul George this season, except that Steph Curry has already like sealed the MVP. It's already delivered in the mail because he's not human. But if he was human, and like if you just took Steph Curry out of the conversation, let's just say that Steph Curry doesn't exist, which we should all mourn basketball-wise because Steph Curry's amazing. But if he didn't exist this season, I think Paul George would certainly be getting MVP buzz. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. That guy is scoring ridiculous. And that, that team runs through Paul George because I like teams that have the understanding that, and, and this doesn't happen with a lot of teams, where everybody on that team knows that Paul George is the best player on that team. From from Monte Ellis to George Hill to the 12th man, they're all just like, Paul George, you are our guy. You're our superstar. Go win us a game and go do star things, and they let him do that. And I think that's why this team has been so successful. Um, you know, I, I almost feel like it's not even necessary to say, but – I mean, Paul George is the truth. I mean, we knew this. I, obviously, the the leg injury, as horrific as it was, wasn't anything like you know uh, an Achilles injury or tearing the ACL or something like that. I mean, so we knew he was going to come back and be pretty much the same guy as long as his head was right. I mean, you know, we see these things. I talked about Rose earlier, but I mean, you're talking a guy who's a shade under 28 points a game. Over eight rebounds, over four assists, his PERs up near twenty six, twenty seven. I mean, just and like you said, he it's the respect. He's twenty six or he's twenty five, and you know you rarely hear Paul George tossed into the discussion with like the league's absolute best players. Yeah. I think it's because he was starting to get there, and then he missed the season, and so he lost it. But I mean, honestly, I. I don't see any reason, you know, not to be discussing Paul George as a top five player in the league. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that, that that's a point I wanted to, to certainly make while we were talking about him is that, you know, Paul George, he is in the discussion. He is with your James Harden and your Russell Westbrooks and whoever you want to throw out there for, you know, if we're talking about who's going to take over for the next generation, you know, when LeBron leaves and we have all these young superstars, you would be remiss to not throw Paul George's name in that discussion. Like, I think that guy – right now, obviously, is probably Steph Curry. I think that's the guy everybody would go with as the next, you know, quote-unquote alpha dog of the league. But if you're not throwing Paul George's name in there, you're just – I would just classify you as a hater. I, mean, I don't think there's there's anything else you could say. But I wanted to make a couple of the points um, about the Pacers. 
and one would best best two way player in the league. Before you go on to the other point, I think he's the best two way player in the league. Uh, see, that's so, that's so hard for me because I feel I love Kawhi and Kawhi's quietly taken. Uh, I, I love Kawhi too. I'm, I'm pro well. Kawhi, but I I feel yeah. like Paul George is like. I mean, they're different players. I just feel like Paul George is Very that different. that more of a scores. Kawhi, you yeah. know what? He's a little he's a little a little smaller of a frame. I would say Kawhi's a little better minus. defensively. He's a little better defensively than Paul George, and I think Paul George is probably a little better than him offensively. So I don't know where that where that quite balances out. But I think the the conversation is certain, certainly between those two. But like you said, you were talking about Monte Ellis. It, he's playing disciplined ball on both ends, and like you said, he's playing defense. It seems like Frank Vogel just said, as long as you try on defense, we will run three to five plays for you a half where you can just do whatever you want, shoot your. He's, he's your, playing well. Uh, it's weird. Like he, yeah, he's moving his yeah, feet. Yeah, he's playing very disciplined. I can't even believe I, – I don't even believe what I'm seeing still. I mean, three three games, two games that I watched of it, and I just – I don't even believe it. Yeah, and the other thing that you brought up, which is um, the fact that they're good on both ends of the floor as a team. So, I think you said what – the numbers I looked up were seventh in offensive rating per 100 possessions and fifth in defensive rating per 100 possessions. I think you said something close to that. It, and it the was, reason it was why, fifth and tied for sixth is what I got through ESPN. Right. Same so thing. Same have, diff. They have – three three-point shooters that shoot over 40%, and they take 66% of the team's three-pointers, which are George Hill, Paul George, and D.J. Miles, who apparently is a 43% three-point shooter now. So, and this is why I think they're the best. Like, the, the numbers I'm throwing out is because Paul George and George Hill are both good two-way players, and that is why I think this team is the best replica of the Warriors' small ball I've seen yet. You know, we have all these teams trying to emulate the Warriors' style and, and basically – trying to reproduce what they've done. But a lot of times when these teams fail, it's because that they go small, which helps them on offense shooting threes, and then they just get pummeled on defense because they don't have the size, they don't have the rim protection and all this stuff. But what we've seen from Indiana is that they can replicate, you know, the Warriors' offensive style and then not suffer on the defensive end, which is huge, and that's going to be the most important thing. And that's the, the thing that most teams fail at, and I'm curious to see – you know, because it is such a, a short transition, you know, a lot of teams are just trying to do this on the fly. And I'm curious how the Pacers are going to do that with personnel in the future because I feel like they have a lot of pieces to, to do it, and I'm, I'm curious how they're going to add on to that in the future. Well, and to speak on something you just said there, too, I think another thing that helps them play the small ball so effectively is the fact that Paul George, he can defend the four better than most small forwards, because, I mean, let's be really small forward, can defend the four. A, a lot of guys, I mean, they can do it to an extent, but, like, it's we don't see the same thing we see from, say, a LeBron. You see Carmelo play the four, great on offense at the four, has trouble defending the four. Paul George, he right. doesn't quite have those same issues, but the fours can't guard him, and, you know, we stretch that way and we understand the way that works. Right, and, and let's be honest, when, when Paul George was asked, by Frank Vogel to play the four in the beginning of the season, he hit him with the Russell Westbrook. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Uh, he hit him with that. He was like, nah, it's not going to happen. But he's embraced it, and he's been well doing it, and, and I, don't, I don't think there's any question that he should continue doing that. I, uh, we, we, we should close on the Pacers because we do have other stuff we want to do. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to talk about that I noticed um, is the Homer commentating. I don't know if you if you listen to the home feeds, but I, you know I'm a media person. I do a lot of you know I've done a lot of media stuff, broadcasting and all that stuff. 
and so I notice commentating a lot. And for me to notice just how much of a homer you are, and I notice a lot of teams, you know, have homer commentating, but for me to notice just how bad it is, I, the the best part is that the, the color man for the Pacers actually groans when he thinks there should be a foul call. Like, he doesn't actually say, oh, man, that's a foul. He just goes, oh, like, like a disgusted fan watching the game. <laughs> and it's just, it's just terrible. It's, it's maybe the worst broadcasting team in, in the league. Even though the, the, the player I play in is pretty good, but the, the color man is terrible. But probably the best perk to watching games via a league pass when you're clicking on all these teams' home feeds, especially if you string two to three to four games together, is you get to listen to these same guys and you realize it it gets much worse than the national broadcast teams we sometimes get. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to close on the Pacers with this question because I I think that the answer is yes, and I'm curious what you think. Are the Pacers the second-best team in the East? Are they the second best team in the East? Yeah, um, I mean, if we're going to go with Cleveland being the alpha dog, you don't you don't think they're the second best team in the East? I don't think so. I I think Miami's better. I really do. Oh, yeah. So I I, I like Miami as a good pick. Okay, so we are going to move on. But before we get into our next segment, we are also brought to you by Sports-Kings.com, where you can find all the latest breaking news, video, and gossip in the sports world. Visit Sports-Kings.com/slash/pill specifically to find all your hoops needs. Again, that's Sports-Kings.com. Okay, so this is a topic that, Andy, you messaged me and said that we had to talk about that. So recently, Jerry West, who works for the Warriors organization, said that his team has two top ten players in the league, the reigning MVP, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, not Clay Thompson. So is he a top ten player in the league, Andy? So you messaged me. You want to talk about this? Is he a top ten player? You want to know what I just found out about myself? When you say things I don't agree with, I do the same thing that the Pacers color guy does because I just <laughs> did like the uh, – <laughs> and this is no disrespect to Draymond Green because I love Draymond Green. Uh, I, I'm on record last uh, last year when we – you know, the, the show we do, the well, we don't really do so much anymore about court vision – I said that I thought Draymond Green was the defensive player the the year last year over Kawhi Leonard. And I still, you know, I still believe that. Terrific Absolutely. defensive player. Yes. One of, one of if not the best defenders in the league. He's one of the best power forwards, I think, that, you know, you find in the league in terms of small ball. Obviously, we're seeing it in in record fashion. But, I mean, I feel like you could argue that he's not even the second-best player on the team. Clay, I mean, Clay Thompson's being disrespected here a little bit, I think, for one. And for two, I mean, I'm fairly certain I can name ten players better than Draymond Green. I, I mean, and again, that's no disrespect to Draymond Green. I think he's a terrific player, but top top ten? When's the last time you averaged 13-8 and eight and you were top ten? Yeah, so I, I sort of – I had a hard time with this. So I was thinking about this question. Um, and for me, I think there's a difference between talent and value. So I think Draymond Green is undoubtedly one of the 10 most valuable players in the league, and um, Zach Harper and James Herbert were talking about this on the Eyes on Basketball podcast, which is a terrific podcast. I mean, they're not better than us because we're like the Jamal Crawford of podcasts. We just think we're the best, even though maybe we're not. So, But I think that Draymond Green is is valuable in the sense that you know, we were just talking about all these teams like the Pacers trying to replicate the Warrior system, but the hidden secret is that you can't because, A, you don't have Steph Curry, who we all agree is probably one of the best, if not the best shooter ever in NBA history. So you don't have that guy, right? 
So, and But the other thing is that you don't have Draymond Green. You don't have a guy that can play center, that can bring the ball up the court. So now all five of your players can bring the ball up the court. And Draymond Green is your center, and he's probably your second-best ball handler because I think he's a better ball handler than Clay Thompson. I really do. And so you don't, this guy can start the offense, and he can defend literally all five positions. So you don't have those two guys. So you can't replicate the Warriors system. So I think that makes Draymond probably one of the ten most valuable players in the league because, you know, he's like the you know the key to this to this unstoppable, you know, lineup that the, the, the Warriors are throwing out. But as far as pure talent, I think like you're saying, I think top ten is a stretch. Now you're putting him in the conversation with guys like Kawhi, John Wall, Marcus Gasol, you know. So Anthony Davis, you put you. I mean, you put him right. in the conversation with LeBron James. I mean, well, I was thinking Ste- like, Steph Curry. Well, I, I just think like it's. You're arguing for him at ten, not t- like not sure. in the top ten. I'm saying like at the number ten. So I mean, all those guys can take over a game, you know, for twenty minute stretches where you're just like, Jesus, John Wallace scored like eighteen straight points and nobody can stop him. So I don't think Draymond Green can do that. And I think that you know when you're getting to the top ten players, there's so many talented guys in this league. So I mean, I I agree. I don't think Draymond is a top ten talented player in this league. So, uh, yeah, but, I mean, I think he's ten, one of the ten most valuable players in the league, but just not top ten. Well, I, like, I mean, I like what you say with the value, and honestly, I mean, I didn't really think it through with the value-wise. That's a good way to look at it. You know, and if I did, maybe. I I do think in this era with the small ball thing, perfect fit. I mean, they're, Golden State's revolutionizing this as they go right now. I mean, it's 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 almost crazy to, to think about, the things that Steve Curtis changed just from coming in last season. But, and that's the other thing I think with this Draymond Green argument is you, I mean, you have a lot of other guys and we're not just talking clay. We're talking Barnes and Iguodala and Bogut and these guys, that team is a well-oiled machine. And I do think in an essence, it's a little easier to get a lot of your shots into play. I mean, and the the other thing too is, is all those guys play good defense. It's not just that's the other right. thing is we talk about Draymond Green being and I thought he was the best defender last year. It's not just him. You I mean, Bogut has always been a top notch defender. Clay's a good defender. I mean, you have uh Iguodala, Barnes, these guys, they all play this defense well. And even Curry this year, who I you know, I do think is a benefactor of this or a beneficiary of this defensive unit, but I just think it, it all kind of comes together and you know, Jerry West, he's gonna stick up for his guy. I, I just think he's a little little off the medication here. Yeah, so uh, I, I agree that he's a little off. And I, I want to end this segment with some names. Royce White, Fab Mello, Marquise Teague, and Arnett Maltrie. So Royce White, we all remember that head case. Fab Mello, uh, not in the league anymore. Marcus Teague, who I'm convinced was only drafted because his brother is Jeff Teague, and they just thought, oh, like maybe he can play too. And then the last name is Arnett Maltrie. Uh, so these are all guys that were drafted before Draymond Green. You want to know where Maltrie plays basketball now? Lebanon. You want to know where Draymond Green does not play basketball? Lebanon. So we're just going to move on because Draymond Green, you are the truth. Second-round pick. What an insult. <laughs> uh, maybe not top ten, but you're awesome. So we're going to move on and to our next segment, which is basically, you know, there. I think the story of the, of the season besides the Warriors have been all the disappointments. I mean, there's a lot of teams that had high expectations and have maybe not lived up to them. So we're going to talk about a couple of teams that maybe – Got off to a, to a slow start, but we still believe in. And uh, one of my favorite movies, Remember the Titans. There's a fine line between tough and crazy, and you're flirting with it. So we're going to be a little crazy here. Who who do you still believe in, Andy, despite their slow start? 
I mean, it has to be. I, there's only really one way that I could go here. I thought about it. I was looking at some other teams, but, I mean, I have to go with the Houston Rockets. I do kind yeah. of recall picking them to win the – did I pick them to win the West? Yeah, I picked them to win the West. Oh, I don't you know, know what's going West, on. That happened. Um, you know, they have won three in a row, so I kind of – you know, I feel like a little bit of a cop-out because they're only one game behind, you know, under 500 right now. But – They've, they've struggled mightily. I mean, they're they're currently sitting in eighth place in the West right now. Uh, you know, you probably would have expected to see them in the top three to four. Uh, I just I yes. think you know the the Kevin McHale thing. Obviously, that's taken some time. You didn't like it because you don't like the switching of the coach in the middle of the season. I get that, but I I feel like things are kind of starting. Dwight Howard's playing a lot better, so I feel like Houston should get themselves. Maybe they're not a top three team, but probably back up into the top five as I see some, you know, the Jazz are up there in seven, uh, the Mavs, who I really don't believe in, and we talked about that last week or the week before. So I think there's right. a lot of room for improvement, and the West isn't quite as cutthroat as it used to be besides the Warriors and the Spurs at this point. So I also, so if you copped out, then I also copped out because I also took the Rockets. Um, you said top five. I, I still think they can be a top four team in the in the top four seed in the West. So, you know, James Harden shows a better shape early in the season. He's gone back into into the game, you know, after the uh, Kardashian curse. Hopefully he's trying to just work that off a little bit. But I think most importantly, and this is a name that I mentioned last year, and I don't think people give him enough credit, his value to this team, is a guy that hasn't played this season. He's played one, I think he played one game that injured in the first game, which is the notice bonnet unit. And, you know, we I, talk, I talked about this last season with you, is they really value that guy because, he has such a good offensive post game that he can give Harden offensive possessions off because a lot of times they just throw the ball into him in the post and, you know, he gets them points without having to exert all this energy from James Harden. Um, and I think as they get healthier, I mean, they were throwing small ball lineups out of necessity, you know, during the season. Marcus Thornton start, starting for this team because they literally didn't have a guy over 6'9 healthy enough. So I think as you get healthy and as they sort of gel a little bit and Ty Lawson gets into it, I think they can turn back into a top four seed in the West. And, I mean, I think that's, that's certainly a, a bounce back. So, well, um, Tyler Austin is going to be key, and I think uh, Monty Eunice, yeah. like you said, too, another thing uh, just to, to touch on that is he spreads the floor as well. And we've, we've talked about how important spreading the floor is in today's NBA to have a seven-footer who can score you a little bit in the post. He rebounds well, too, and he can shoot the three. He's kind of like a bigger Ryan Anderson in a sense. I think Ryan Anderson's a great comp for him. I mean, I think Ryan Anderson's a better shooter than he is, but I, and I, I also love Ryan Anderson for the record. He is like the stretch floor before the stretch floor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Rockets can absolutely bounce back from their slow start and be a top-four team in the, in the West. So we are going to move on for our final category, which we do every week, which is the fantasy stud and scrub of the week. So, Andy, who is your fantasy stud of the week? My fantasy stud of the week, I, you know, I looked hard because it's easy to pick Steph Curry every week and just, you know, hit the gavel and be done with the day. Uh, I'm I'm sticking with the position, but I'm going to go to Motor City, and I'm talking about Reggie Jackson this week. Uh, Reggie Jackson's just been terrific, man. I mean, he's, you know, we're talking, I lost him. <laughs> Anyways, you're talking. the stats you're talking are there. I implore you to go look. No, I just I, I accidentally clicked the, the arrow twice. But Reggie Jackson had a big week, up over 28 points a game. I saw he hit 3.73 per game, so nearly four wow. threes a game. And anybody knows me in fantasy basketball, I love the three ball. I think that's, you know, one of the most pivotal stats in fantasy. 
Yes. And, and I, I apologize for losing Reggie's stats here. No, that's, that's all right. It happens. I, I, I would agree with you as somebody who owns Steph Curry that three-pointers is very important. Um, I am also going with the point guard position. I am going with John Wall, who has had a, a, I would think you would say, a disappointing season so far, but he rebounded a little bit this week with two 30-point assist games this week. Um, and, you know, the Wizards are starting to show a little life. They were another candidate for this last category, I thought, of a team that could bounce back. Um, and I think they're starting to with uh, with John Wall's performance. Andy, scrub of the week, who do you got? Well, my scrub of the week, I decided to go with, geez, man, I'm a mess on this category. I tell you, I lost the one page, and it blew me okay, up. Well, I, went well, with I'll, Mike, I'll I, went, I went with Mike Connolly. Uh, okay. Just under 13 oh, points a game. I know. Only four assists, less than three rebounds. The guy shot 37% from the field this past week. Come on, get well soon, Mike Conley. Yeah, I mean, uh, grit and grind, man. Um, so my scrub of the week, but before I announce my scrub of the week, I am going to tell you um, which team we are watching for next week, which is Andy Flint's Orlando Magic. I want to see if we got ourselves a playoff It. Yeah, see if we got ourselves a playoff team in Orlando with uh, Victor Oladipo and the crew. So I don't know if you can call him Victor Oladipo and the crew since he's, he's a bench player now, but we're, we're going to get into that next week at some point. My scroll of the week is Timothy Mozgov, who in three games this week had nine rebounds, six turnovers, and zero blocks. Doesn't exactly <laughs> sound like the stat line of the 13th best center in the league to me. <laughs> so that I knew is that our was coming. Show. Yeah, that is our show for today. Uh, we are going to end it uh, next Sunday. We will be with you at our normal time, 6.30 to 7 o'clock, to take you on the journey around the league. But we will end it with the great philosopher, Jason Williams, like we always do, who once probably thought basketball is like last ball at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.